0: If you have a Bible with you today, I want you uh, to invite you to open to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is in the Old Testament. Uh, When I opened my Bible, it was like halfway, but then I remembered that everybody's print is a little bit different. So it's right before the book of Esther. Uh, It's in the Old Testament. We are going to be in Nehemiah chapter 1, and we will get there in just a few minutes. Uh, So once again, I just want to say Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Uh, We are about 10 hours and 42 minutes into the new year, uh, and uh, how many of you actually set resolutions? How many of you set New Year's resolutions? Wow, like two. Ah, wow, I thought there'd be more. Okay, Uh, uh, of those resolutions, I wanted to know how many have already broken them in less than 11 hours. That was my question. That was the fun question. Uh, So some of us make these resolutions some of us have already broken them not even 12 hours into the new year Um, How many of you are maybe like me you're like aim low then you just don't miss it, right? You just don't have New Year's resolutions. How many of you are like me and just I don't do New Year's resolutions? Okay, now I have a few more of you. All right, so we've decided that resolution's out the door. Uh, Well, hopefully you have at least maybe thought about the new year. I know I have. I don't say I set resolutions, but maybe I really do because I set goals for the next year. I set goals for how I want to uh, maybe improve myself, I'm not good at the gym, but we'll try. Um, but, or th- how, do, how does God want me to grow? How does he want to stretch me in this next year? How does he want me to sacrifice? And so maybe you've thought about some of these things for the next year. And it's really this season, like in our culture, this is almost like a season of self-improvement, self-reflection. Uh, as we walk into January, we want to make better versions of ourselves. And uh, besides this morning, it's a little quiet in here this morning, I'm like, well, it's New Year's Day, let's be real. Uh, But for the most part, in January, most people, again, with these resolutions and new habits, they're like, most most churches have higher attendance in January. They come out of Christmas, hey, let's do this as a family, and it kind of wanes off. We also know about health clubs. Health clubs in January are stupid busy, Uh, For those of you who actually go to the gym every day, you show up in January and go, who are all these new members? Who are these people? I've never seen them in my life. And let's be real, they're not really new members, they're January people. Let's be real, they're not new members. Well, they will be because they signed the contract, but they won't be there after January more than likely. And again, if I'm really honest, I have been one of those people. So uh, health clubs are stupid, crazy busy. And, and like I said, as we, as we reflect, as we look at how do I make myself a better version of me, these are not bad things. It's a good thing to stop and reevaluate our lives, think about what we're eating, what we're not eating, what we're supposed to be doing, how do we get out of debt. All of these things kind of come into our minds, usually at the beginning of January or the end of December. Uh, and we, say, we ask the question, what should I do about me? What should I do about me? How do I make me a better version of me. And that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to reevaluate what we're eating, what we're drinking, um, how how are we spending our money, what are we doing with our lives. But this morning, I really want us to maybe focus on something a little bit bigger, maybe a broader question this morning. And this question, uh, I just want to be really upfront and honest with this. This is not something that I came up with all by myself, because I'm just not that smart. I was actually challenged a few years ago by a sermon series that Andy Stanley had done. And I just I just felt that this was super appropriate for the beginning of a new year. Uh, and so my hope and prayer this morning is that as you leave here this morning, that you are challenged, if not more challenged than I was when I first heard it. And uh, I have been challenged just writing this message in preparation. And so my hope and prayer is that we walk out of this out of this building, thinking uh, beyond maybe ourselves. And so with that, let's be ready this morning for what God has for us. Maybe set aside what has gone on in the last you know, day or two, the last week or so, the last month or so, and let's really slow down and focus on what God has for us now and how he wants to challenge us t- today, but not just for today, but really for this next year. And so if you are willing and able, would you please stand with me as we read from God's word? I told you we were in Nehemiah chapter 1, starting in verse 1, and we are going to read an entire chapter of the Bible, but it's only 11 verses, so you guys can handle it. We're working on our stand goals already. Come on. (laughs) This works, right? So we're in Nehemiah chapter 1, starting in verse 1, and it says this. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hacaliah. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. And they said to me, "Things are not going well for those who return to the providence of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace." The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, "'O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel.' I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. O Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. Let's pray. Father God, I just want to thank you for your word. I thank you for the story of Nehemiah. God, my prayer this morning is that this would be your words not my own words that God that you would use me this morning to speak what you want to challenge us with and that God you would move in this place as only you can God would you break down walls right now or defenses maybe that are going up God would you break those down would you soften our hearts would you open our ears help us to be attentive to what your Holy Spirit is nudging us to do this morning and God we thank you for what you are going to do in Jesus name amen you may have a seat you may have a seat. All right. Well, we just read an entire chapter uh, of the Bible, the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter one, and. Maybe you've read this and you're like, I have no idea what is happening here. Uh, some of you might have been here for, we did a series a while back called A 30,000 Foot View. Uh, we kind of went over the Bible really fast and we, and we talked about Nehemiah a little bit in one of those messages. But this morning I want to begin by giving you maybe a little bit of history and a little bit of understanding to the text that we just read this morning. This kind of takes place uh, what's often called the Jewish exile or right after the Jewish exile. And again, a little history for us. The Jewish exile was about 605 B.C. And the Babylonians had invaded Judah or Israel. And it was, if you think about modern day Israel today, there was sort of a top half and a lower half. And I believe I have a map maybe to show this. There was a top half and and a lower half of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And they invaded what was called the Southern Kingdom or Judah. And so for about 70 years, the nation of Israel or Judah, the Southern Kingdom, was basically kind of shut down. Like they had gotten invaded, they destroyed things, they stole things from the temple, the Babylonians did. And so people were exiled, they were taken from their homeland and shipped to other places all over, uh, wherever the Babylonians wanted them to go. And so... About 70 years go by, so the Babylonians have taken them out of their land, took things from the temple, and they are in all scattered all over the place. And for about 70 years, the Babylonians rule. After the Babylonians were there, then the Persians came in and they conquered the Babylonians. Uh, and, and so when that happened, Cyrus the Great was actually uh, in power, from what I understand, and he decided, he kind of took a look around and he's like, what Who are all these people? And they're scattered. It's not like they have one spot they're in. They're scattered all over my empire. Who are these Jews? Where did they come from? What is happening here? And he actually decided to make this proclamation to everybody everywhere. He said, hey, if the Babylonians took you out of your homeland, if they ripped you from your home and sent you here or wherever you were at, let me just say this, you can go home. Like, this is a very simplified version of it. There's many, many more details that go into this, but he basically says, go home. You are able to go back to your homeland wherever that was. And so everybody was able, basically, to go back, to migrate back to their nation of origin. So many of the Jews, uh, really, ultimately, like tens of thousands of Jews, uh, migrated back to Israel, back to their homeland to rebuild their homes, to rebuild the temple, the wall, to really start the economy again. And so they start heading that direction. But they're having massive trouble. It's a complete disaster when they get there. Uh, The economy is a wreck. People from other regions, from other countries, have actually moved into Judah. And so they're already living there, and these Jews all show up, and they're like, who are you guys? Where have you been? And it's just this chaotic, really a mess back in Judah. And so you've got the Babylonians, we had the Persians, and then after that, the people were allowed to go back to Jerusalem. That is a very, very quick synopsis of history there in which I probably didn't do a great job of. But I do want to challenge you in this. If you want to understand even more about some of the details of what happened and why it happened and when it happened, I want to encourage you, check out the Bible Project. Check out some of these these things that we can go into and it'll help you understand the Bible better. It'll help you understand the history of what happened and the timeline of it. And so, like I said, I gave an extremely fast Probably not great historical little glimpse there, but I just want to challenge you to check that out for yourselves. But we meet Nehemiah approximately like 90 years later, and Nehemiah is a Jewish man. He has a Jewish heritage. We don't really ever know if if Nehemiah had been to Jerusalem, if he had even been to Judah. Uh, We don't even know that he's even seen that city. But we meet Nehemiah, and he's working for King Artaxerxes of Persia. He's got a good job, right? And so all, all we know of Nehemiah is he's in Persia working for this king and he begins to journal this story that we have in our English Bibles called the book of Nehemiah. And so I want to begin to kind of go through a little bit of what we read and give you a little bit of uh, maybe some thoughts as we, as we go through God's word this morning. In verse 1, we saw that who it was written by. It was written by Nehemiah. He was serving the king in the 20th year and he was at the fortress of Susa. And I think it's interesting, like he writes this down, and this is history. This is a historical view. This isn't a once upon a time kind of crazy story. This is actual history. I want to write down exactly what is happening here. Susa was essentially the primary city, and they didn't really have capital cities, but this was like the capital city of the Persian Empire at the time. And so he's at this city of Susa, and he has a brother that came back from Judah, uh, the southern part of Israel and some other men, and he asked them, how's it going? How's it going? And, and these guys, and they, and, they, and, and they came and they said, I mean, we're a nation, I think, not really, it's kind of a mess. And Nehemiah's like, well, what, what's going on? What's going on? And they said to him that things are not going well for those that return to the providence of Judah. They're in trouble, it's a disgrace, there's burning the walls down, everything's broken, everything is a mess, we have no defense. We're in a no man's land. People come, people go, there are all these cities and these other powerful people, we have no way to defend ourselves, people are moving in, moving out, it's just not good. It's just not good, it's a complete disaster, Nehemiah, actually. And then the next powerful state. There's this next line, I, I love it so much. It says this. And when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. In other words, for Nehemiah, this wasn't. I just want the update. Tell me how it's going. This was impactful to him. His response wasn't. Oh, that's really sad to hear. But I, you know, I'm living here in the king's palace. I. I know what's happening tomorrow. I know what I'm going to have to do. I'm raising my family in the most powerful, wealthy culture in the world. Sorry about Jerusalem. Here's a check. Good luck. That wasn't his response at all. When he found out what was going on, his heart was broken and he wept. And for days he mourned. He fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then he journals this prayer that he prayed for his nation. Probably a nation, again, he'd never seen. He had maybe family around him as they were in exile in Susa there, but he had maybe never been to that nation, but he prays this prayer, and he says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love and those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through Moses. I love this prayer. I love this prayer because first Nehemiah starts off with like, God, this is who you are. You're awesome. You're amazing. But I also want to remind you, and I chuckle at that. Maybe you don't see that. When I was reading through it, I, I laughed at it. I'm like, I, don't, I think God's memory is probably a little better than ours. But he reminds God of, God, you're going to keep your promises, right? I'm reminding you of your promises. And he uses the word covenant in his prayer because God established a covenant with Israel years ago. How he's, and he reminds God of what he said to the nation. Because what we need to understand in that is in the Old Testament, God had set up somewhat this conditional relationship with Israel that says, basically, here's my laws, here's my rules, here's my regulations, follow them. And you will get to live in this land, this promised land that I am giving to you. But if you break them, if you, if you abandon me, if you walk away and no longer follow what I am asking you to do, I will take you away, and I will send you to the other nations of the earth. So we need to understand that Nehemiah is reminding God of his own promise. And I chuckle at that because I don't really think God needed that reminder, but he does remind him. I also love the part of Nehemiah's humility, his openness. He said, I confess the sins, we Israelites, including myself and my father's family. He basically says, I'm not going to point fingers, God. I'm a part of this. My family's a part of this. And we have acted very wickedly. And we completely deserve to be thrown out of town. We completely deserve to be thrown out of our land. We completely broke the agreement that we established long ago with Moses. And he goes on reminding God in verses eight and nine, he says, Please remember what you told your servant Moses. Again, reminding God, If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations, God said. But if you return to me and obey my commands, Nehemiah wants to remind God, Okay, God, we walked away, we messed this up, we screwed this up. But let me remind you that if we begin to turn back to you, if we begin to follow your laws again, that there is also a promise. I promise that I will bring you back to the place that I have chosen for my name to be honored. The people you have rescued by your great power and your strong hand are your servants. Again, he's saying, God, remember what you said to Moses. Remember the Israelites in Egypt. Remember the whole, let my people go. You went to extreme trouble to redeem your people from Egypt. And we're once again in the wrong place. We're not where we belong So God, would you be willing to redeem us again? Would you be willing to bring your people back by your great strength, by your mighty hand? God, hear my prayer. Can you feel that? That's a different prayer. It's not a quick 30-second prayer. It's a powerful prayer. Understanding who God is, recognizing what God has done and what he is asking God to do again. And he's super specific again. In verse eleven, he said, Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of us who delight in you, in honoring you. Please grant me success today in making the king favorable to me. Put into his heart to be kind to me." Now, here's what he's about to do. Here's what maybe we don't understand. You're like, "Okay, what, what, what do you need God, the, the king, to be favorable to you for?" Nehemiah has it made. Nehemiah is the king's cupbearer. He's got a cushy job. He's living the life. I mean, he's got everything he absolutely needs. He's in daily contact with the most powerful person on the planet, and he's about to go to King Artaxerxes and say, I need an indefinite leave of absence. I would like to leave my cushy job. I would like to leave this amazing environment that you have created, and I want to leave my family, and I would like to go to Jerusalem and help my people rebuild their city and reestablish their presence in the land. Maybe you don't think about it this way, but here's what we need to understand. He's the cupbearer. The king's the one that asks for favors, right? But he's the cupbearer. So he's asking God, God, I need your favor. I need your guidance. I need your direction. I need you completely in this situation because really I'm about to risk my life to go do this. It was a massive sacrifice for Nehemiah. He gave up everything Because his heart was broken and he felt compelled to to act on what he had heard. And maybe you're here this morning and you're like, Aaron, this is great. Now that you've given me a little bit of history of Nehemiah, who Nehemiah was, we've gone over the verses, understand the covenant that God had made between God and Israel, you're like, what in the world does this have to do with me? Well, at the beginning of our time together, we talked about the beginning of a year. We talked about making resolutions. We talked about making goals, whatever that we are doing. And I wanted us to, to challenge us to think about maybe a different question. A question that's not, God, what, what do I need to, how do I make a better version of me? How do I make me better? But maybe a question like this is what should be asked. What breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? Like Nehemiah, when he heard the news of a land that he had maybe never been to, for people maybe he didn't even know, it broke his heart. What breaks your heart? When you look in your community, when you look around in the neighborhood or our city, our state, our country, our world, what breaks your heart? We look at the economy, the school system, with families, with what's happening with kids. What breaks your heart? And I don't know what it is that will capture your attention. We're all different. We all have something that brings out emotion that can feel like it's breaking our heart. Maybe it's the thing that you can't get off your mind. Maybe it's the one thing that your heart, your mind, and your thoughts just always go there, no matter where you're at and what you're doing. And sometimes maybe that thing is so disturbing that you just don't even want to think about it because it just messes you up. And there's a lot of things that we can look around our world and we see what breaks our hearts and we can list them off. But almost in the same breath, at the same time that we're listing the things that break our heart, we say things like this. It's always been that way. It's always going to be that way. Maybe we say things like, I'm a nobody, what am I going to do about it? I don't know anybody, I don't have the resources or we have the excuse of I'm too young, I'm too old, I'm too middle class, I'm too busy. Maybe we're too disconnected, we feel. And so we see these things that break our hearts and we have these reasons like, God, this never, never ever going to change. It breaks my heart and I just don't know what to do about it. And we pray prayers like this, God, would you please send someone over there to do something about that because that's a big problem and I can't even think about it anymore because I get too upset or emotional about it. Did you catch that? God, please send someone else. What breaks your heart? So maybe this year, instead of going into this year, what can you do about you? I think that we need to ask the question that's much deeper. What breaks my heart? And what's my role in it? What's the role that I play in it? Because here's the truth, we all want to be better people, we all want to do something in this next year to make this place better, make ourselves better, but it's going to take action. It's going to be more than just listing off what breaks our heart, it's going to take us stepping up and doing something about it. When I think about the people that I admire the most, the the, the stories maybe that I tell the youth group kids about, they are the people who found what broke their heart and they did something about it. Who are those people that inspire you to greatness? The people that you admire are not the people that kept their ideal weight. They're the ones that changed the world or somebody's world. They are the people that figures out what breaks their heart and they do something about it. We need to ask ourselves, what breaks our heart? What what inspires me? What role do we play in changing it? And that is a massive question right there because we can easily list what hurts our heart, but what role do we play? And we need to begin to ask God to show us what our role is. If we do not ask what our role is, this is what will happen in the next year. I've seen it. Unfortunately, I've been a part of it plenty of times. We are going to sit around. We are going to watch the TV. We are going to be on social media, listen to the radio, and we're going to blame somebody. We're going to blame somebody. But here's the deal. People who blame things don't change things. We're gonna hear or look at something and see what breaks our heart and it, and it makes our defense mechanisms go up and it makes us so angry and we're gonna be like, somebody needs to do something about it. We'll sit there and say it's the President's fault, it's Congress's fault, it's the PTA's fault, it's the school district's fault. It's the preacher's fault, right? It's everybody else's fault. What's our role? Or are we going to continue to blame? As long as we continue blaming, nothing ever will change. Nothing will ever change. Blame is not a strategy for changing anything. Blame is how we avoid changing things. So what if we would just imagine for a moment, if we took all the time and energy that we spend blaming people, asking for somebody else to step up and to change things, actually bring it back to ourselves and go, God, what's my role? What if we focused it and to bring about change in an area that breaks your heart? What if we responded to the hurt and the pain of this world the way that Nehemiah did? What if we allowed those things to actually break us? To shake us up, to move us out of our comfort zones and actually do something about it? Break us to the point of weeping. Actually spending days in prayer fasting over, God, what do you want us to do? What is our role? What is my role, God, in changing this situation? How much of our time do we spend repenting our own sins and understanding that the role we played into the mess we're in? So what breaks your heart? What inspires you? And what role do you play in changing this world? Let's all stand together as we we close. When I was thinking about it, asking these questions, this is how great things happen. And it really, it's not just a New Year's resolution, it's a resolution for your life and how you're going to live your life. If you really want to be a better person in this next year, that's okay, but be a better person and also make a difference in this world. Let's end the blame game. Let's see what breaks our hearts. Let's list the issue that we see and the heartache that is happening and actually do something about it. And quit giving the excuse that we're a nobody or we don't have the resources. Because we have more than a lot of other people do in this world. Maybe you can answer the question very easily. Maybe some of you are like, oh, this is a list of things that I hate about this world or that needs to change. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> what are you going to do about it? Just make a list? A list gets us nowhere. Make a list of what you're going to do about it. Maybe this year I want you to think about who you're going to inspire to also step up with you in making a difference in this world. You don't have to do it alone. Maybe think about this. What is God asking me to do that I've been avoiding? Maybe there's that something that's been in your heart that God's been asking you to do, and over and over and over again you just keep putting it to the back burner because you're like, God, that's going to take some sacrifice. That scares me. Ask God, what breaks, breaks his heart? What breaks his heart? Is it aligned with what breaks your heart? It should. God, what breaks your heart? Help it to break my heart, and then God, help me see my role in this. And what could I do with who I am? I love the way the, the first chapter of Nehemiah ends. He says the entire story, he goes through the history, like God, reminding God, this is what we're asking you to do in my prayer. God, I'm super specific. But at the end of it, he just says this, I was the cupbearer to the king. In other words, Nehemiah said this, this was the opportunity I had. This was the stewardship of influence that I had. This is who I was and so I took who I was and I did something with what I had and what I took action to address was the thing that broke my heart. So what opportunity do you have? What stewardship of influence do each one of us have? Who are you? What are the giftings that God has given you? I know when I was putting this together, one of the things that struck me is we talk all the time about the 42%. And I just felt guy going, Aaron, what are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? I don't know what he wants me to do yet. <laughs> but I'm asking. We give statistics all the time about what's going on in our world and those who haven't heard. And it's really easy to sitting here in our seats, but what are we doing about it? What has God given you and me that he is wanting you to use to build his kingdom, to bring about change, to end the pain of somebody? Not just the physical pain, but the spiritual pain of not knowing who Jesus is. Guys, this is how the world has changed. This is how someone's world has changed in some way. And this is how you set yourselves up when you ask these questions to wake up a year from now, not going, am I any slimmer, am I any stronger? Am I eating better than I did last year? But you will wake up next year feeling like your heart, your life, your resources are actually in sync with what God has created and called you to do and you can't wait for the next year. So what breaks your heart? What role are you gonna play in this next year to bring about change? Where is God asking you to step up? What is the one thing you've been avoiding that God is asking you to do? Let's not just change ourselves, let's change this world. Let's build God's kingdom. Let's be a part of something bigger. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for who you are. I thank you for your challenge that, God, we can get so focused on ourselves and what we want to do and what our intentions are for the next year. But God, my prayer is that this morning we walk out of these doors going, I can't just sit back anymore. God, what are you asking me to do? What role do I need to play? What sacrifice do I need to do? give what are you asking me to give up God break my heart for what breaks yours God help us to be more than people of blame but actually change God we have to stop blaming and start looking at ourselves and understanding the roles that we play whether it's positive or the negative God you want to challenge us and grow us in this next year Dad, we look forward to what you are going to do in this next year. Help us to be clay in your hands. Help us to be moldable and shapeable, to do whatever you are asking us to do. God, thank you for the story of Nehemiah. Thank you for his example of humility, of his willingness to see the opportunity that laid right before him, for his heart that broke, for his action that he took. And God, we thank you for what you have done in this place this morning. And we just give it to you. God, use us as we walk out these doors into our communities, into our families, into this world. Move us to action, God. We love you and we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.